Well, good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you this morning. For those that don't know, my name is Tim Brand. I am a 40-year member of this church. Yeah, exactly. Woo, praise God. I can't believe you still keep me here. Um, and uh, I run Many Hands for Haiti in town. Um, it's fun to be back at Thanksgiving in particular because there's a lot of family that's back and people that I haven't seen for a while. So welcome back, those that have been away from our church family, but have come back um, from, from Be With Family to come back and join us. Um, today we're going to be entering into the Advent um, series, and I got to admit that I should probably be part of the AAA club, the Advent Abusers Anonymous club, um, because Advent to me hasn't meant a whole lot. Growing up, Advent was, was this. Um, my mom always ran a lot of programs, for those that know that, uh, in this church in particular. And so I always had to come up and light some candle and sing some song in front of everybody. Um, and that's what Advent was. But it was really like, okay, how can we just get to Christmas? Because Christmas is what was really mattered. And this whole Advent thing, um, it didn't mean much to me. But as I've been in this season now, as I get older, and in, in general, God's brought me back into it, I think Advent is one of the most important times of the year for us as a church family. And I pray today that God breaks through some barriers in our minds and in our hearts about what Advent is and what Advent isn't. And so as I was preparing for today's message, um, a story came to me. And so it was the fall of 2000, and I was a, a spry, probably arrogant, 21-year-old. And my older brother had been married for five years at that time. And um, they had, at that point, tried to have children. And they tried the natural way, and that didn't work. And that was difficult for them. And so they then went to getting the shots, you know, where you go and you get the shots and you, you prepare the womb and you prepare things, and, and they went through that process, and that proved to be barren. And so then they went the next step, which is, which is the in vitro route, and for those that have ever been down that route or had kids or family that have been down that route, um, it's a very arduous, long process, and it's very, very expensive as well. And so they believed they had one shot to maybe have this, and uh, if, if God said that this wasn't what they were supposed to do, they were willing to go the adoption route, but they felt they had this opportunity. And so they went down that route, and again, it proved to be fruitless and barren. And so they came back broken uh, to Pastor Kevin, and they said to Pastor Kevin, um, you know, we, we believe that God's called us to have kids, but, but we aren't able to do that right now. And Pastor Kevin said, let's go one more time. But let's give this all to Jesus. Let's ask him in the process. Let's invite him in. Let's have him heal your womb. And so for the next five weeks, uh, in preparation to the in vitro fertilization, um, we met as a family and friends. And there was many in this room that were part of that process. And we met at my parents' house and we would pray uh, for God to, to come and dwell in us. We would weep and cry about our sins and we needed to repent from some of those. We would uh, have expectant prayers of what God was to do in that situation. And we were longing for God to come and break through and to touch this womb to bring children. And I remember it like it was, like it was you know, we were gonna have this, this, the procedure on a Thursday, I think it was, and on Sunday we were praying for this final time before the, the, the womb would be ready for the eggs to be planted. And Paul Heatbrink, one of our elders in our church, was praying and he stopped the prayer and he, and he says, I'm praying for babies, multiple 
not just one, I think God's gonna give more in abundance. He's gonna have babies come. And as I was praying, I heard loud and clear cries of babies. Loud and clear, I heard cries of babies. I will never forget that, and as a 21-year-old, I am so thankful that I experienced that, so much so that when the prayer was done, I actually got up from my seat, I ran outside, because I wanted to check, because I swear the neighbors had kids sitting outside the windows, because I heard these audible cries. And not one cry, I heard audible cries. The eggs got planted, the womb was ready, and show the picture. And three little ones came out nine months later. Nolan, Summer, and Caleb. And we had a longing for these children. Go to the next slide. They grew up, and we have expectations of what they were to become. And go to the last slide here. And now they're seniors in high school. And they're graduating from Mount Vernon College, and they are absolutely a gift of God. There is no doubt in my mind that God in his presence came down, and he touched the womb of Robin so that we could have kids in that family. There's no doubt in my mind. So much so that again, God in abundance, what was said to be impossible, God gave another one down the road. Natural. Just all of a sudden they got pregnant. And as we enter this Advent season, my hope and my goal is, is in today is that we develop this longing like we had for those children to come. We prepared our hearts, we prepared the womb so that God could plant something inside of us. And as time progressed, it grew larger and larger and larger. And in that there was pain and there was suffering and there was bodies that were being depleted, but there was life that was being grown for something more to come. That's what God's asking us into. And so as we enter into the scripture today, what, I, what we're gonna do is we're gonna, we're gonna step back Okay, so a lot of times, again, in Advent and Christmas, we go right to the birth of Jesus, which isn't a bad thing, because obviously that's what, you know, we're celebrating. But what I think God wants us to do today is to step back to see his grand picture of how this all fits together so that when the time comes for the birth, we are ready. Because God has a grand story happening that we are all part of. So hold up your Bibles with me. We're going to start in Genesis, page two for those that, that uh, need page numbers on this one. We're gonna go to Genesis, we're gonna go to Isaiah, we're gonna end up in Revelations. So we're gonna go two, we're gonna start in verse seven, we're gonna go seven and nine, and then we're gonna jump down to 15 through 25. So verse two, or chapter two, verse seven. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now jump to chapter, or verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat, of it, you surely will die. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the fields and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them and whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. 
So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed up the place of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The Lord said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Go to that, that uh, first slide, please. So what we need to understand is that when God first created the heavens and the earth, created man, that everything was perfect. And again, we, we've read this, we've heard this over and over and over again, but what I want you to understand is that when God created man, there was unity between God and himself, between God and man, between God and the rest of creation, between God and others, how he related with, with uh, Eve, Adam and Eve, and God himself. And so in that, there was, there was this wholeness. There was God working through this to create something that was perfect. But as we know, that, prof- that perfectness was broken. Go to the next slide. And so when sin entered the world, this is what happened. There was brokenness under all four facets. There was bro- brokenness between God and man, meaning the broken relationship with the spiritual intimacy. It used to be that man could walk with God. They would walk through the garden together. There'd be intimacy between the two. No longer was that the case. There was brokenness between God and the rest of creation. So there was a brokenness in stewardship. What once was given to man to be able to steward, now he was taking and he was, uh, he was breaking it. There was a lot of corruption in that. There was brokenness between God and others, the brokenness in community, how we relate to one another. Again, when God created man and woman, there was no shame between the two and now there was shame, there was guilt. There was brokenness between God and self and how they viewed one another and how I viewed myself. And with that, there's a brokenness of identity in that, number one, we have to understand we are a child of the king. We are made in God's image. And so that means we are not God. We are not dirt either. So I am not on the same level as God, but I am also not dirt where I control nothing and I basically just live this life and whatever happens, happens, and I have nothing to offer, okay? There was brokenness within that. And so what God is, he made a way through Jesus. And we're gonna go to Isaiah, which is a different scripture than normal, Isaiah 11. And I want us to look at Isaiah 11. Uh, for those that uh, need page numbers, it is page number 686. We're gonna read verses one through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his root, a branch will bear fruit. So pause right there. What really caught me out of verse one is it doesn't say a branch will come off of the tree of Jesse. What does it say there? It will come off a stump. How do you get a stump? A tree has to be cut down, right? And what God is revealing in this and what Isaiah is revealing to us is, is, a, is something that I definitely want us to wrestle with today. Is that for transformation to come, for God to really break through in our hearts, what once was has to die for something new to come out of it, for new life to come out of it. Me and my brokenness and my sin is I want for me to be me 
to be whole, to be, you know, how God made me and, and just basically, you know, to, to have that humanness inside of me and just to have God branch off of me, you know? Just take a branch of what I am, don't go through pain, don't go through suffering, don't go through anything. I just wanna be who I am and then have a branch come off of me. But what Christ and God say over and over and over again in scripture is in order to have life, we must have death. We must die of self. We must empty ourselves so that we can be filled with Christ. And so out of a stump, death comes, out of Jesse comes this root, this branch that will bear fruit. And when we talk about death and dying and, and dying of self and emptying ourselves, the always question is, well, okay, I'm gonna go into something else. Is that really better? I mean, I think lots of a lot of fear around that. It's like, okay, I, I, maybe I can die of self, but I like what I have now, and is what you're offering really gonna be better? I mean, isn't what I have kind of good, maybe? I know it's not perfect, but isn't it kind of good? And here's what, here's what Isaiah says. Because again, remember, Israel... The Lion of David, Jesse, Israelites thought this was good, right? This is good enough. We're there. God said, uh-uh, I got something better. He says in verse two, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, Jesus, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He'll look at the heart but with his righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. What's coming is better. What's coming is better. And then he transitions in verse six through 10. This is talking about when Jesus will return. Okay, so this is not when he's coming as a baby, but this is when he returns in his fullness. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them, Jesus. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Verse eight and nine. What's a viper and a cobra? Snake, right? Where have we heard about a snake before? Right, the garden of good and evil down in Eden. And what does it say there? That young children will put their hands in the nest, infants will play near it, and neither, there will be no harm, there will be no destruction. Who's children of God? We are. So what he's saying there is, there is that Satan will have no power. That which came to defeat, that which came to destroy, that which came to give us death will have no power. In verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place will rest, of rest will be glorious. Go to that, that last, that other slide. Jesus comes and makes a way for all. He comes and writes the past. All that which was broken through Jesus is secured, is restored, 
is made whole. Jesus is the answer that comes and does that to us. Again, we have to remember that, that Jesus is better, but it took death and destruction for that to come. And now let's jump over to Revelation 21. And again, the goal of this is to draw back so we can draw in. So verse 21, we're gonna read one through seven and then 22 through 27. And this is talking about when Jesus will return. Page number 1230 for those that have pew Bibles. Then I saw a new heaven and new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heaven from God, preparing as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Skip over to verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and the Lamb is its Lamb. The nations will walk by light and the king of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gate ever be shut for there will be no more night. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Go to that slide with the comparisons. So through this, God is revealing to us that not only is he coming again, but what he's coming again is gonna be better than what he even had the first time. Okay, there's this transformation, there's this change of what once was, which was broken, has been reborn and renewed, and it's better. So in Genesis, the sun was created, Satan was victorious, sin entered the human race, people run and hide from God, people are cursed, tears are shed, fruit from the tree of life was, will not be eaten, paradise was lost, people are doomed to death. But when Christ comes again in Revelations, the sun is not needed. Satan is defeated. Sin is banished. People are invited to live forever with God. Curses removed. No more sin. No more tears. Fruit from the tree of life is eaten. Paradise regained. Death is defeated. And believers live forever with God. I long for the day when that comes, right? That's what Advent's preparing us for. Go to that next slide. So, Again, I, as I said earlier, I'm part of the AAA, Advent Abusers Anonymous Club. And these are things that have helped me as I prepared for Advent. And the first one I wanna hit on, really wanna hit the most time on is permission to sing and permission to groan. So I spent a lot of time in Haiti. And one of the things that people always talk about and say to me is like, okay, like we've met these people and, and I can tell you, I've hardly met anyone that's the age of 40, which is my age, that hasn't had either buried a child, buried a loved one, buried a husband, 
buried a, a spouse or a brother or sister uh, very rarely. Almost every mother I come meet has buried a child below the age of two in some way, shape, or form at some time in her life. Almost every single one. In fact, they don't even name children for a couple, couple weeks because they're afraid if the child dies, if I don't name it, then maybe I won't be as attached to it. That's the place I walk in. And in that, what people say to me is like, I don't understand how I can see them singing and dancing like they do, but yet at the same time, there's this, this is such hardships they're walking through. And what I say to people all the time, and this is, I believe, is that for those that have experienced great mourning, great suffering, great hardships, and if they remained in Christ Jesus and they held this vision that Christ has come and he's coming again, and in maturity they walk through it, God digs inside of them and he carves out of them and he carves out of them and he carves out of them, inch by inch, a place that is a reservoir to retain more joy. And when joy comes, I can sing and I can dance because I know what hard looks like and it is time to dance because today I experienced something and I am gonna shout from the top of my lungs. And for some of us today, we need permission to mourn. It's been a really hard season. You've gone through things, you've experienced some, some really hardships and, and, and we're not asking you as a church and I'm not asking you as a person up here to, to put on your nice coat and button it up and say, okay, I got my Dutch front on. Okay, we're gonna get the presents, we're gonna put the Christmas music out, we're gonna play the music and everything's gonna be great. It's not the way it works. Some of us, we need to wholly mourn. We need to weep from our toes that God empties us out. So I'm walking through a season right now and I say this as I'm not, I'm not self-advocating, I'm just I'm stating this because me being at the front doesn't mean I have it any more together than any one of you. So this week as I was preparing for this sermon, my dad who's been battling terminal cancer ended up in the hospital. He's been fighting it now for two years diagnosed, three years probably longer, and, and he's at the tail end of his, of his journey. And basically his body has got blood cancer. He can't fight anymore. He just doesn't have the energy to fight. An infection comes in and it zaps his body. And what started as a 99 degree fever ended up at Mercy Hospital with tests like you wouldn't believe and needles and poking and prodding and x-rays and all kinds of things. And he's tired. And on Wednesday, he got released from the hospital. And he came for a few hours in Thanksgiving. At the same time, uh, I've got my wife, who at an alumni volleyball game, she's not as young as she used to be, um, jumped and landed on her knee, and she tore her ACL. And so on Tuesday, we had surgery. So I sat in a waiting room for her surgery, uh, got her out, took her home, She's sitting on the couch. She can't walk. She's not gonna be able to walk for two to four weeks. She can't drive for two to four weeks. What does that mean for me? It means I gotta take care of a lot more things. I got a lot heavier burden. I see my wife who's never had anything experienced like that before. She can't, she can't help herself. And I gotta stand in that. At the same time, I work in a country in Haiti that right now has experienced the most unrest that it's ever experienced in the past 15 years. There's a non-functioning government. There's a lot of unrest um, in the cities. It's nasty. 
It's hard. It's really hard. And yet that's where I sit. And that's where I work. And I spent two weeks there in the first part of November. Um, it's hard. And yet God called me into this to give this message today. And thank God for children, because children, I think, sometimes see things that we don't, right? Some of you guys have children, and you're like, oh man, thank God for children. And so as one of our um, traditions in our family on Thanksgiving Day, um, we met as a family, just the four of us, not extended family. And we sat, and my, my daughter's 11, my son's nine, my wife and I, and we just said, okay, what are we thankful for? And we went around the room, and we just kept going around the room. And the first thing out of my 11-year-old daughter's mouth was, is, Dad, I'm, I'm thankful that I got another year with Grandpa. And I'm like, yeah, honey, I am too. I'm glad we got another year with Grandpa. And my son, my son goes, Dad, I'm, I'm thankful that Mom could go to the hospital and she could come back to us. And she's gonna get better, right? She's gonna get better. I'm thankful that she can get better. I'm like, yeah, buddy, you're right. She's gonna get better. I'm thankful too. And then it came to me and one of the main things that I'm thankful for is that, you know what? God has given me a gift to be able to speak life into people like in Haiti that are going through tremendous hardships. And I get to spend time with them in a relationship and I get to be able to speak to them and give hope when sometimes it's a hopeless situation. And I've been blessed enough financially that I can give money to them for them to be able to feed their families and their kids. God's blessed me with that. And I'm thankful for that. And I think as we live as people in exile, as we've been walking through this past year, here's the tension that we always have to stand in. There's a tension of what we know God wants to do and what he wants to restore, but yet here's the reality of where I'm at. And there's tension back and forth and back and forth, and we stand in this. But here's the thing. If God's gonna make us strong, how do you get strong? When you lift weights, how do you get strong? You put more tension. You put more tension on your body. You stand in difficult times. You walk through difficult things. I'm hitting the age where, unfortunately, there's my friends that have been married or hit and divorce. I've walked through a number of them with my friends now. I don't like it one bit. It's not what God intended. It's not what God asked. But you know what, I stand in the tension of, here's the promises that God has, Here's the reality where we're at and we're gonna stand together. I don't have the answers. I don't know everything, but I know God's promises. I know his bigger picture and there's tension. So as we enter into this Advent season, especially as we look at as people of exile, I pray that God gives you the vision to yes, we celebrate a baby in a manger that God came down with us, he dwelt among us. But I pray you step back and look at the grand picture of what's happening. Because life was there before you were there, and life's gonna be there after you were there. And we are part of a grand story, and God has given you a unique purpose in that grand story. And part of that is to stand in the tension of what is, to hold on to that which could be, and that which is, and I just stand here. And sometimes I weep and I cry and I mourn and sometimes I do a holy dance and sometimes I sing and sometimes I shout 
because God has been faithful and God is good. So one last thing as I invite the worship team up as I close. Again, thank God for kids. So we're sitting at that Thursday, Thanksgiving time together and we're sharing and, and we close it with, with a song. And literally I was just like thinking, what's Thanksgiving songs, Thanksgiving songs? Can I think of a Thanksgiving song? There's lots of Christmas songs. There's not very many Thanksgiving songs. You haven't figured that out. Um, but the one I landed on and God gave me this to be able to share with you today because it's exactly what we're talking about. Starts with, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. It's Genesis, right? It's Genesis. And when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. That's Jesus coming to earth, dying on the cross, and us weeping for what happened. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees, when I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze, that's those moments where God shows you a glimpse of his kingdom. I pray you've all had one. I pray he's had enough in your life where he's showing you a glimpse of his kingdom. And you stand in awe and say, man, right here, right now, I am in God's presence. And lastly, how he ends, and this is what we all cling to. This is why we cling in Advent. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. And in my weeping and in my rejoicing, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. May you enter this Advent season with the reflection of how great thou art is, how great God is. And you are part of his story live in his story, long for him to come and make all things new.